0: when we dedicated our children to the Lord, when I was serving on the staff at Roswell Street. and Then when Haley was born, I was serving on the staff at Sagamore Hill Baptist Church in Fort Worth. We never told God what we thought our kids could become. What we asked God to do was to help us to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Days like Mother's Day and Father's Day are days when we should be reminded of what it means to be a Christian mom and dad. The world has established Mother's Day and Father's Day as days when finally sorry kids tell their moms and dads thank you, with cards and with flowers and with candy and a meal. But as believers, that ought to be in our DNA 365 days out of the year to be grateful for the influences that God has given us and the ability to influence lives. Not just one day out of the year, but every day that we're blessed to have parents, not perfect parents, but blessed to have people that have raised us and taught us and put us in a position to be successful in God's eyes, maybe not in the world's eyes. I remember saying to the Lord early on when when uh, Aaron was a baby. You know, Lord, I'm not asking you to make her a missionary. I'm not asking you to, to have her marry somebody in ministry, because I'd rather her be a garbage collector in the will of God than on the mission field outside the will of God. I'm just asking you to help her find your will for her life. And isn't that what today's about? It's about us as parents helping our children, molding, directing, guiding them so that one day there'll be a knock on their door, and it might not be a four-foot-tall lady. It might be a neighbor. It might be somebody down the street. It might be somebody they go to school with that says, I've been watching you, and I need what you have. I've been observing your family. I've been observing your life, and and I need need what I see that God has done in you. There was a lot of attention on the royal wedding a few weeks ago. Boy, if ever more attention has been paid to two people that will contribute nothing to society. That was the royal wedding. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me. Listen, the, the alarm went off. I was in a hotel room on my way to Oklahoma City and my girls and my wife Watch starting at 4 o'clock in the morning to see what hats everybody was wearing and what dresses everybody was wearing and the horse-drawn carriage and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there going, where's the testosterone in this room right now? I need some male help in this room right now. I mean, I was so sick of that stuff. And I mean, the reality is those two people are never going to contribute anything. They're royalty but one millisecond after they're dead, they're either going to be in heaven or hell. It doesn't matter how big the wedding was. It doesn't matter that the mom's family insisted on paying for their half of the wedding as if the royal family couldn't foot that bill. It doesn't matter what the preacher said. I mean, let's be honest. When your kids have been cohabitating for 10 years... A wedding is kind of a joke and do it with the name of God slapped on it. That's not the kind of kids you want to raise. You want to raise a child that'll make an impact in eternity. You don't want to raise a child that just makes it on television or makes it in the newspapers, hopefully not for the wrong reasons. You want to raise a child that will make a difference in eternity. And I want to talk to you this morning about a man that was raised early on in human history, who walked with God and who pleased God. In fact, we don't know his mother's name, we know his dad's name was Jared. And that's not the jewelry store where you buy the rings, okay? Uh, The man's name was Jared. And he actually outlived his son by 300 years. So here was a man who saw his son's life born and died completed in his lifetime and knew the testimony that his son had. Now many of us will not know what the final testimony is about our children. We will not outlive our children, some of us will. But the reality is what will people say about the children that have been invested in our homes, placed under our care. When you read the story of this man, you find him referred to in two books in the New Testament. His name first pops up in Genesis chapter five, but in Hebrews 11 and in the little book of Jude, you find the name of the man Enoch, Enoch. Enoch was a man who walked with God. An unusual man. It's a very unusual story in the Scriptures. Enoch was a man born when times were hard and tough and difficult. Things were coming loose. The foundations were shaking free. And, and God put this man in who pleased him. Hebrews is written to a church and to believers where the foundations are shaking and things are coming loose. And in addition to that, persecution is on the rise and people are wondering, is it worth it to serve Jesus? That's an amazing question that we ask in American culture. It's an amazing question that we ask in the American church. Because in third world countries and in Middle Eastern countries, it does not even enter the minds of believers that there might cost them something to serve Jesus. They know it's going to cost them something to serve Jesus. And yet they willingly give their lives and lay down their lives and teach their children the things of God because they are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's a man who learned how to live in a tough time. The key word in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is the word faith. Here is a man of faith. Now what we need to understand about the faith life that God has called us to, is if we do not live by faith, we will start grabbing onto anything and everything else out there. We will embrace the insane. We will believe the absurd. We will do the ridiculous. We will fall into the trap of cults. We will immerse ourselves in drugs and alcohol and addictions. We will look for meaning in the meaningless. And that's not the way God intends us to live. That's not why God put us on this planet for a brief amount of time in the scope of eternity. He didn't put us on here to be committed to giving our lives to the absurd and to the meaningless. Most of what we do week in and week out will not matter the day we die. Our jobs, our paychecks, our houses, our cars, our boats, none of that will matter. The only thing that will matter the day we die is the souls of men and the word of God. Because that's the only thing we can take to heaven with us. Or the souls that we poured into, the people that we've shared Christ with, our children that we've taught to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what we've taken in the Word of God. And that's the faith life. Two things about this life of faith. Number one, faith is not hoping that things will work out. Boy, I see that. Listen, I see that so much. I hear that from Christians. Well, I'm raising my kids, just hope things work out. That's not faith has nothing to do with new testament faith. I just hope it all works out for the good. You know, we're just going to try our best and do a little more and hope it all works out. That's not in the Bible. That's not the way God teaches us to live our lives or to teach our children how to live their lives. Nor is it having faith in faith. Faith is not having faith. Faith is having faith in God. You see, faith in, it's not faith in spite of the evidence. That's just superstition. We got a lot of superstitious people. We're not called to be superstitious and, and hope that if I do a certain things, you know, I've, I've heard that if you carry a rabbit's foot and if you do all this kind of stuff, that's just weird. That's the way the world thinks. Faith is really only as good as its object. It's only as good as its object. You see, you're not to put your faith in your kids that they will turn out all right. You're to put your faith in God, that God will empower your kids to be what they're supposed to be. That God will orchestrate and work and develop in their hearts, that their hearts will be tender toward God so that as they grow and as they mature, they become more and more and more Like Jesus. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith though he is dead he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before he was his being taken up he was pleasing to God. And without faith it is impossible to please God. So how do we raise children that make an impact in eternity. We teach them to live by faith. Now, first of all, there's Enoch's example. If you read the book of Genesis, you read it, so-and-so had a son and then he had other sons and daughters, and it always ends the same way, and he died. So-and-so lived, had a son, had other sons and daughters, and he died. By the way, every generation is a terminal generation. Nobody's gonna get out of this thing alive. Every generation dies. The only generation that will not die will be those that are alive at the coming of Christ. They will not taste death like Enoch did not taste death, who is a picture of what will happen one day when Christ comes for his church. But the story of scripture is men live and they die. It's interesting, C.S. Lewis said, war does not increase death. Now, you have to think about that for a second. You say, well, in war, deaths rise. Well, people are gonna die anyway. You're going to die, I'm going to die, our children are going to die. The question is, before they get to that point, how are they gonna live? And how are we gonna direct them in their living? Abel was an example of worshiping God but Enoch was an example of walking with God. In other words, Abel had right worship, and Enoch added to that and had a right walk. It's not enough to just teach our kids to worship and to sing songs and to come to church and understand what worship is, listening to the Word of God, and worship is in prayer, and worship is in serving, and worship is in singing, but it is in that walk, and he lived 365 years, and then it says... He was taken up. Now, just think about this. He lived 365 years. How would you like to be a member of Congress trying to figure out Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security on that guy? (laughs) I think, sir, he's already paid in everything, and now we're spending somebody else's money. Think how many people got to be in the workforce for that guy to get his benefits. He lived 365 years, before you think that's a long time, his father lived 800 years. His son, Methuselah, lived over 900 years. I guess retirement age back then was like 742. (laughs) Here's what Enoch did. He experienced what Adam and Eve rejected because God walked with them in the garden, but here's Enoch who is walking with God. What what an incredible man. It's obviously implied in the text that he walked with God. This was a... In a generation just before the flood, this is before God is about to send judgment. A land filled with ungodliness and violence and anger and murder and wickedness and corruption. Not unlike the day in which we live. It reminds me that if Enoch could walk with God in a wicked day, we can raise children to walk with God in a wicked day. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew's gospel that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of God. Well, what was happening in the days of Noah? They were marrying, they were burying, they were eating, they were drinking, they were having parties, they were going about their business as if God would never judge and God would never hold man into account for the way that he's lived his life. Jesus said, it's going to be that way just before I come. Is it not that way right now? Just going about our business, thinking that it's all going to be pushed back and we're never going to have to deal with it. Now, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21, let me just read it to you. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. But for the first time, it doesn't say, and he died because God took him up. Now, here's a man who has a son at age 65. You want to know now why I ask you to turn to the person next to you and say, you want to think it's time to have another kid? Here's somebody at 65 that's having another kid. And it's implied in the text, although it's not explicit, it's implied in the text that maybe Enoch didn't think a lot about the Lord and about his responsibilities before God until he had Methuselah, his firstborn son. And then he got serious about God. You see that in a church all the time. People grow up in the church and they go to church, and they're in youth group, and then they get off to college, and they kind of run wild for a while, and then they get married, and they kind of stay out of church, and they make excuses, and then all of a sudden, when a child comes into the scene, they begin to think about, where where are we going to raise this child? How are we going to raise this child? What are we going to do? And they begin to think about God more. Why? Because there's a life entrusted to them. There's a life given to them. There's a life that they're responsible for. And most moms and dads, after the first sleepless night, realize we can't handle this on our own. we got to have some help. And so he began to think about God. He began to think about his priorities. And somehow, in his thinking about God, God began to reveal some things to Enoch. Here's the thing that you need to know. When you spend time with God as a parent, when you spend time praying about the world in which you live and your children live, when you spend time praying about the world that they're going to inherit from us, God will begin to speak to you about the things that you need to do in the lives of your kids. And it says he believed God. In fact, in the book of Jude, uh, Jude refers to something that Enoch said that is not recorded in the Bible. It's not even recorded in the book of Enoch, which is an apocryphal book. This is apparently something that the Holy Spirit directly showed Jude what to write down about something Enoch said. And in Jude verse 14, he said, It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them." Now why is that important? Well, first of all, because Enoch prophesied that there's coming a day when God's going to judge the earth. Here's a man who named his son Methuselah. Now when he started thinking about God, this is the name he gave his son. The name Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come to pass. And at the time that Methuselah died, the flood came on the earth. God showed Enoch, your son's going to live and he's gonna live a long life, but when he dies, Judgment is going to come on the earth and that's when God sent the flood and that's when the earth was destroyed except for Noah and his family and all the beasts of the field. Here's a man that had a word from God. He he saw the first judgment coming in the flood and he saw a second judgment coming when the Lord would come with many thousands of his holy ones. And so here's Enoch's explanation. He walked... With God. Can you imagine walking in a cemetery and you see all these headstones and they say, asleep in Jesus and rest in peace. When's the last time you walked into a cemetery and saw a headstone that said this? Walked with God. Lived a life pleasing to God. We come up with our catchphrases that sound nice and serene, but here's a man who God wrote his epitaph. God said, you want to know what kind of man Enoch was? He walked with God. Whether you have a son or a daughter, your prayer, your goal, your desire should be that when they die, it would be said of them, they walked with God. Because our faith is revealed in faithfulness. Just as we want our children to grow physically, we should want our children to grow spiritually. And in fact, what we should want, have you ever seen this, where the child gets to be bigger than the, than the dad or the mom? That ought to be what you want for your kids spiritually. You should want them to outgrow you. That they, they get on such a path, that they're on such a track, that as they grow physically, they're also ahead of where you were at that point in your life spiritually that they're walking with God more, doing more with God, believing God more at that age than you were, that means that you're making a good investment in the lives of your kids. How do you explain the faith life? You explain it by what it does. First of all, Romans 13, 13 says, behave properly as in the day. Behave properly as in the day. Galatians 5, 16 says, walk By the Spirit. We ought to pray that our kids would walk by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 says that they should walk in love. And 1 John 1 7 says that they should walk in the light. And so here's the goal. If you want to write down something in your Bible or on the note sheet, which I'd encourage you to do. By the way, I sent out a tweet the other day. It amazes me. Everybody expects me to spend hours studying for a sermon and never picks up a pen and writes down one thing I say. Must not be that important. You see, sometimes we make more to do about a kid getting their grammar lesson right in the first grade than we do about getting God right. Because we don't have the right priorities. By the way, don't ask your kids to do anything you're not doing. If you're not studying your Bible, don't expect your kids to study it. If you're not praying, don't expect your kids to pray. If you don't take notes, don't ask them what notes they took in church if you're not doing it. Just a word for the wise. Because, by the way, you'll forget 95% of what I've said before 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Because your mind is not sharp enough to stay in tune with the Lord. That's why... A pencil is better than an IQ because your pencil will remember what you've forgotten. Here's what you need to pray. First of all, that they would walk in the power of the Spirit. That they would walk in the power of the Spirit. Not walk in their flesh, not walk in worldly wisdom, not walk according to peer pressure, not walk according to what the crowd thinks or what the the norm of the day is, but that they would walk in the power of the Spirit. Secondly, that they would stand on the truth of God's Word. That they would stand on the truth of God's Word. We have a movement in our culture today where we don't want to call sin, sin. That's right. We want to call it a problem. We want to call it a disease. We, we don't want to address it. And we don't want to call sin, sin. But sin is sin. And if you stand on the truth of God's Word, then you got to call sin what it is. And you've got to call grace what it is. And you've got to call judgment what it is. And you've got to call the love of God what it is. You can't make it up to make it fit what you want it to be. So if you and I are going to teach our kids to be the kind of kids that leave a legacy, then we've got to teach them to stand on the Word of God. By the way, they can learn a lot of other stuff, but what they learn in the Word of God is the most important thing they'll ever learn. Number three that they would kneel in humility before God. That they would kneel in humility before God. Nobody struts into the presence of God. God's not impressed with anybody's resume. God's not impressed with anybody's grade point average. God's not impressed with anybody's degrees. Everybody comes to God humble. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The key word in Enoch's sermon is the ungodly that we recognize that ungodliness leads to a dead-end street. It leads to disaster. The book of Malachi chapter 2 and verse 6 says, True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. So why should we walk with God in the Word? Because the Word is a lamp. The word is a light. The word is food. Your kids could be fed by God out of His word. Their path and their direction could be lighted before them by God. It could guide them in the ways that they are to walk and the things that they are to do. I was in a hotel last weekend. getting ready to preach in in another church up in Atlanta. And that hotel was hosting a prom. Oh, Lord. First thing I thought, all these girls walking in in dresses that didn't have enough material on them to make two socks out of. And I'm thinking, what idiot dad let his daughter walk out of the house looking like that? Like that boy's going to look at her and say, let's just go to God and pray right now. I mean, come on, folks, get the blinders off. You don't half-dress your daughter and expect a guy to keep his hands off of her. And the guys, I mean, you could smell alcohol from a block away. The only thing they're praying is, I hope I get lucky tonight. And that's the world that many Christians are turning a blind eye to. That's right. And I watched these teenagers walk in and I thought, there's gonna be some girls' lives ruined by the time I get up to go preach in the morning. Because some mom and dads didn't have enough sense to set some guidelines. Oh, but everybody goes, well, if everybody's doing it, let's just all jump in and swim with the sharks. You see folks, we're going to have to wake up that we are raising our kids in an ungodly world that says immorality and loose living is totally acceptable because you can always fix the problem. But you cannot fix many of the diseases that our children are getting now that have no cure that they will live with for the rest of their lives all because we let them start dating too early. We let them go too far. We let them do too much. We let them see too much. And by the way, it starts with what they're looking at on the computer. Amen. And it starts with what you're watching on television. Your kids are not gonna leave a legacy if your legacy in your life is inconsistency. And I watched these kids walk in, and it broke my heart because I saw some very nice-looking young men and women. And my heart was broken for them because I realized that standing outside were moms and dads taking pictures of these moments to post on Facebook that they should have been embarrassed about. Now, I'm not a legalist. I'm not a stick in the mud. But I got sense. And there's not a 16-year-old boy alive that doesn't have hormones. And moms and dads, we are foolish among all people. If saying we know Christ, we don't know how to make our families have some semblance of decency. in how they live and how they act. Well, I meddled in that pond long enough that the water's so muddy, nobody can see. So let me go to the last thing, Enoch's experience. He was pleasing to God. Now here's how we live. Here's how we teach our children to live. First of all, you can live to please yourself. You can live to please yourself. The only thing you care about is, am I happy? About 20 minutes till seven, I was on my way to church this morning. I passed this old boy and he had a can in one hand and his hand on the steering wheel and he had his boat behind him. He's going to please himself. On Mother's Day, he's headed to the lake to go get drunk and catch a couple of fish. And I thought at that moment, that great profound thought, you can't fix stupid. (laughs) Hey, mama brought you home some baths. You want to skin them and us eat them tonight? How about she takes that oar and hits you upside the head? (laughs) Knocks some sense in you, dummy. You can live to please yourself. You can live to please others. You can live to please others. Just take the pulse. How's everybody doing? Is everybody happy with me? Does everybody like me? Does every, am, am I popular? Do I get to sit at the cool kids' table? You know Are we in the cool Sunday school class? Am I in the cool group? Do, do I go to all the nice, cool events and everybody think? You see, sometimes there are people in their 30s and 40s and '50s and '60s that are still trying to get into the cool table. And they live to please others. By the way, those people aren't thinking about you. They're too caught up in themselves to think about you. Because all they're thinking about is themselves and others. Or you can live to please God. You can live to please God. And that's really the only living that matters. And so two things. There are notes in your Bible. First of all, you need to seek the Lord with all your heart. You need to seek the Lord with all your heart. Set an example as a mom, as a dad, to seek the Lord with all your heart. Job 5, verse 8. But as for me, I would seek God and would place my cause before God. Who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number? Psalm 9, 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 24, and verse 6. This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, even Jacob, Selah. Psalm 27 and verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Psalm 70 and verse 4, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Psalm 105 and verse 4 Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Hosea 10 12. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Matthew 6 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Not only do you seek the Lord, you seek to please God in all decisions. You seek to please God in all decisions. The Bible says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so, I just want to ask you a question. As a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, how are you doing on seeking God? How are you doing on pleasing God? How are you doing on living the life that God's called you to live? I'm not saying that you need to be a perfect parent. There are no perfect parents. Uh, Our daughter Erin shared some last night at the daddy-daughter dinner, and man, I was sitting there thinking of times when I was really stupid about some things, that I made mountains out of molehills sometimes. And things that I wish I could take back that I said in a moment of frustration. I'm not talking about isolated incidences. I'm talking about in the long view for you as a parent. Are you seeking God? Are you pleasing God? Now you see what the devil wants you to focus on is all the times you messed up. And God wants you to see a bigger picture. Where's the direction of your life going? As a mom, as a dad, as you pray for your kids, as you teach them the word of God, as you make an example of your life for them to follow, where's the direction of your life going? You're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to have to say, I'm sorry. They're going to have to say they're sorry. That's part of just relationships. But how are you doing? You see, we can come to church and pretend to be the perfect little family. We dress our kids the right way, and we come dress the right way, and we say hi to people, and we tell our kids when they walk by and somebody says hi, and they just look at you. And we nudge them and say, you're supposed to say hi to people when they say hi to you. Hi. Then you go home and have a talk about it on the way home. Don't you know you're supposed to be kind? Don't you know you're supposed to be polite? Don't you know you're not supposed to be rude? That was rude. And usually you don't say it like that. You say, that was rude. (laughs) And we know how to do it here. I'm talking about when we're not here. When it's just... Those of us that live under a roof together. When there's nobody else around. Are we what we are projecting to others? Or are we something else? And so here's the invitation this morning. The invitation this morning is very simple. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Some of you may need to come to this altar to pray, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I am going to ask you, if you're honest today, and nobody's going to be looking, okay? Nobody's going to be looking. By the way, you never get through raising your kids. You just start helping with the grandkids, and you keep giving advice. The good news is, if you've done a good job, they'll still come to you for advice, even after they're married, and they'll seek your wisdom because they trust your wisdom because you got a few years on them and you've been through a few experiences that maybe you can help them with here's what we're going to do It's just real simple I'm going to ask you if you're willing to say to the Lord today as a mom as a single parent as a dad as a couple as a grandparent I'm going to ask you if you're willing to say to the Lord today in just a moment we're all going to bow our heads and this is the invitation it's just real simple I'm going to ask you if you are willing to say today, God, I acknowledge that there are things that I need to change about my parenting or my grandparenting. I acknowledge that I need your help, that I need your wisdom, that I need your discernment, that I don't need to fall into the traps that other people I see are falling into, or I'm in a trap and I need to get out of it. And if the desire of your heart is, you want God to change you so that you can raise, by God's grace, a child that walks with God and that pleases God. And by the way, it's never too late. The prodigal was grown when he went and did his own thing. But when he came to his senses, guess where he went? He went back home to his father. Because there ought to always be a way that you can say to your children, no matter where you go, no matter how far you get away from me, no matter how far you get from God, when you come to your senses, you can always come back home. That's what grace does. That's how grace acts. So I'm going to ask us with our heads bowed. We're not going to have any music. I'm just going to ask us with our heads bowed this morning, if you are a parent that says, I just need, maybe you want to come to the altar, I just want to pray for you. But I, I need God's help. I need God's wisdom as a dad, as a mom, as a single parent. I, I need to know to raise my kids in a way that pleases the Lord. I, I, I need God's power. I need God's wisdom. I want my kids to walk in the Holy Spirit. I want them to stand on the Word of God. I want them to kneel and humble themselves before God as they grow up. I want to raise those kind of kids. I, I want us to be that kind of family. And, and Lord, it, it's a tough world. It's a difficult world. It's a, it's a hard place to raise kids. And I know it's difficult. And I need you to help me with my kids, with my grandkids. I I don't want to quit. I don't want to cave in. I don't want to give up. I, I don't want to just fall into some easy pattern. I want you to come in and help me to do what I need to do. If you're not at the altar and you need to do that, maybe it's a long way for you to come. I just want to ask you to stand where you are. If, that's, if you're not here, but that's, that's your prayer, I just want you to stand right where you are and just say, Lord, I need help. I, I need your intervention. I need your power. I need your grace. I need to know how to deal with my kids, to love them unconditionally, to discipline them in the right way to raise them up, I want God when my kids are raised and when they meet you, I want it to be said of them that they walked with God and that they pleased God. Father, it is tough, it is tough to raise kids in this world. The innocence of my youth and the youth of my parents is long since gone. And we live in a jaded world with an increasing evil and hostility, a hatred and a lack of trust. We are raising our kids in a world where there's no respect for authority and no respect for your laws and no respect for you or your word. They are being bombarded with images and thoughts and social networks that are undermining the very core of what we're trying to do with them. And God, you haven't called us to withdraw from this world. You called us to be in this world, but not of this world. And so, God, I pray for every mom and dad and every grandparent, every single parent in this room that's calling to you right now and asking of you right now that you would give them wisdom and discernment how to raise their children to leave a legacy in light of eternity. Lord, there's nothing better And seeing our children walk with you and acknowledge you. Our kids are not perfect. Nobody here has perfect kids. They're going to make mistakes and they need moms and dads that can guide them and get them out of the ditch and back on the narrow road with firmness tendered by grace with discipline administered in love. Father, the first thing we have to admit as parents is we don't know it all. We had not got it all figured out. We're on a journey too. And so I pray for these moms and dads. On this day when we honor moms, I pray for men to stand alongside their wives and to help them as, as the moms are nurturing that the dads are teaching and guiding and leading. Lord, that we don't just look at our wives and the mothers of our children as the ones who drive carpool and fix the dinners and keep the house straight, but they are treasured vessels in your eyes. And that we do well to lead our children by our mutual submission and by our surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So Father, today, use us, those of us in this room, to raise up an army of giants for God. Young men and women that will serve as homemakers, as blue-collar workers, as white-collar workers, as doctors, lawyers, garbage collectors, teachers, missionaries, pastors, youth ministers, wherever they find themselves, that we will have invested in what could be, by your grace, the next great generation. But Lord, we acknowledge before you that they need our help. They desperately need us full of Jesus so that they can see the difference that Christ makes not just on Sunday but in day-to-day lives. Bless each home with an overwhelming awareness of your desire to step in and to be the head of every home as Lord and Master. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.